Well, good morning, Pillar Church. My name is Kanan Parker. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to be back up on the pulpit. Y'all can turn in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 6. You guys have with you a cross-reference sheet. Uh, feel free to look at that as I will be referring to many of almost all of those cross-references and maybe more as the Spirit gives. And so utilize that thing. It's there for your eyes to see and for you to bring home. In 1939... The world was at war. And if you have been in school recently, then you know which war I'm referring to. World War II was on and popping in 1939. World War II was a big war. It was international in its scope, right? Uh, we had, the, we had uh, England, Soviet Union, Germany, Japan, Italy. This is a, a major conflict with major players involved. We got Benito Mussolini in the game. We got Adolf Hitler in the mix. We got Joseph Stalin. We got Winston Churchill, right? And while the beef is on and popping in one side of the world, the United States, laid comfortable, protected by its oceans, sleeping. Y'all remember hearing this before? On the other side of the world, the United States is sleeping. And that all changed in 1941 when the imperial forces of Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. They crossed those protective oceans and bombed Pearl Harbor and wiped out a great deal of the United States Pacific Naval Fleet. But what's crazy is this. Just like the United States, many of us in this room are asleep to the reality of the war that's happening around us every single day. We're sleeping just like they were. And like the U.S., for some reason, we live like we're immune to the war and the bullets that are flying by our heads on a daily basis. We fail to realize that it's not just happening, it's not just a war that's happening around us, but just like the United States in 1941, we are actually in the crosshairs of some of the fire. And the enemy has good aim. But we out here sleeping. We out here playing church playing Christianity. I don't know if anyone has told you this, but this faith ain't no game that you can play fast and loose with. There are real consequences to your faith. There are real people who have really lost their lives in the midst of holding firm to the truths of the Christian faith. And we're so far removed from the concept of war because we in 21st century America is protected from two giant oceans and a world superpower military. What's war? And when we get comfortable with the question of what's war, we get lulled to sleep by the enemy around us. And we begin to think that this faith ain't nothing but something we come to do every now and again on Sunday. We sing and, and, and dance and we go home. Yet nothing impacts us deeper than that. Guys, I'm going to tell you now, there's a war going on for your minds, for your hearts, and for your allegiances. Right now, even now, you're fighting to remain, content, to concentrate. Because the distractions of this morning got you jacked up. The thing that happened last week got you focused more on that than on worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It already is working, even now, we admit it. 
We're blind and unaware. We've been lulled to sleep by the enemy of our souls. And we're not realizing that he has the ability to influence our decisions and the anxieties that we feel. There's a, a war raging around us. But like the wind in a sail, you don't see it clearly in the physical, but you definitely see the results of it in the physical. Let me ask you these questions. Do you think it's a coincidence that you sometimes wake up angry for no apparent reason? I think that's a coincidence. Do you think it's a coincidence that you sometimes wake up fearful that you wake up depressed? Do you think it's a, a coincidence that your Insta feed pops up the very thing you've been trying to avoid? That week you've been trying to avoid something and it just happens to pop up right in front, right on one of them commercials. You think it's a coincidence that your coworker decided to test you on that particular day last week? I think it's a coincidence that the most intimate people in our lives we tend to have the most turmoil with? Bro, that ain't a coincidence. That's the enemy of your soul, and he wants you to die. It's crazy, right? We're in America, the world of materialistic realities. We don't talk about the spiritual realm at all. It's even foreign to some of us now. We're hearing this, and we're like, what are we talking about? This foreign enemy that we can't see. It's like wind in the sails. My friends, it has impact on you now, and if you are not realizing it, recognizing it, and doing something about it through the power of God, you'll be a casualty of it. You think it's normal that you wake up questioning your worth? You think it's a regular occurrence that you wake up questioning God's love for you, even though most of your life you've been told about how much God desires and loves you, but you wake up questioning that love? Wake up questioning whether or not life is even worth living. Guys, there's often something more behind those thoughts than mere circumstances. There is something there. Charles Spurgeon had a wonderful quote. This is the quote. He said, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are both after it. If we neglect the reality of this war going on around us, the enemy will catch us sleeping and slipping, and there will be a great many casualties, even from among you. He will win and rule your life. And you'll be caught like, I wonder what happened. You ever, you ever been in that situation where you look back and you're like, that happened so fast. What happened? It just, everything was, it was all good just a week ago. Right? And then all of a sudden, bow! Sleeping. See, one of Satan's great tools, especially in the United States, is to either cause you to overemphasize the spiritual or to underemphasize the spiritual. He wants you on either polar. Because if you overemphasize the spiritual, everything becomes spiritual. And if I stub my toe, it's like, oh, the devil's after me. I stub my toe. And everybody looks at you like you're crazy, and you lose credibility in your speech to those who are very materialistic. But then he wants you to underemphasize the spiritual to the point where nothing that ever occurs to you has anything to do with any spiritual forces in this world. And so everything that happens is just happenstance. You don't know what to do with it. This is where most of us live here. Other countries, other places in the world, they live there. But he wants you on either polar. He wants you all the way, everything, or nothing. 
The reality is, yes, we are a depraved people. Sin is running through, up and through. The poison of sin is running through our veins as we speak. That's real. But there are also spiritual realities influence, influencing you as you try to combat the sin within. That's real. That's not a game. That's, that's not something to play with. That's how men and women fall. That's how... You know, just like World War II, there's often warning signs that were missed or neglected. See, in World War II, it's said that the United States actually had some intelligence that would lead them to believe that they were going to be attacked in that particular place at that particular time. However, that intelligence did not lead to the saving of those soldiers there at Pearl Harbor in 1941. And as I give you this information, are you going to learn from their mistake or are you going to take this intel and you're going to use it in order to gird yourself in the spiritual realm so that you don't become and those around you don't become a casualty? None of you can say you ain't never heard this now. Take heed. The enemy is real. He wants you to die and he wants your soul. He wants to influence you to destroy your life and the lives of those around you. My question is this, and I want you to think about this. In the spiritual, are you standing firm or are you being bodied right now? Are you, are you standing firm? Are you, are you taking licks but standing firm or are you literally on your back? What does that mean? You're spiritually indifferent. What does that mean? The beef with the people around you is causing you to live in the flesh 99% of the time. You're on your back. We take this war and we try to fight it in the physical. We go into Dr. Phil for answers to spiritual realities. He ain't got them, bro. Spiritual wars must be fought with spiritual weapons. And so we need to gird ourselves in the spiritual. What did Jesus say in John 17, 17? Look at your cross-reference sheet. John 17, 17 and John 6, 636. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth and your word is spirit. And if we're going to wage war in the spiritual, we need God's word to lead us in the direction and show us what to do. How? What does it look like? This morning, the Apostle Paul is going to school us in the art of war. And we're going to see that through the power of the gospel, Jesus Christ has equipped Christians with the necessary weapons to stand firm amidst the battle of your soul. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're only doing verses 10 through 13. Look what it says. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil verse 12 for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers against authorities against the cosmic powers of this darkness against 
evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Verse 13. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, take your stand. There are three questions that I want us to consider as it pertains to this text this morning. The first is, where does our strength come from, according to the text? Secondly, who is my enemy, according to the text? And thirdly, what is my duty in this war? You don't need me to give you the answers to those, because if you read the text, you have them. But let's flesh them out with the first one. Where does my strength come from? According to verse 10, let's look at verse 10. Finally, there it is, highlight in your Bible if you want. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. I love the way the KJV says it. That's the way I like to say it. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I love that. Now, I know that you know that you ought to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I know that you know that, and I know that many of you desire to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But I challenge you on this. I think you want to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might on an intellectual level, not, in a, not through a tangible reality. Everybody wants to be in shape until it's time to get in shape, right? And so we aspire for something intellectually, but in the physical, in the reality, in the, in the practice, in the day-to-day, we don't do what's necessary to achieve the very thing we say we want, which makes me think, do you want it? It's just like prayer. Our actions at any given time will indicate the strength of our belief in any particular arena. And I use prayer as my example for this. You may believe that prayer works, that prayer is strong and powerful, and that prayer is necessary. You may believe all three of those, right? And most of you do. You would say, yes, prayer is real, it's powerful, it's strong, it's necessary, great. But you may believe more in any given circumstance that your wisdom and your intellect And your ingenuity is what is needed to render a solution to any particular issue. And so we put prayer on the back burner and we come to the forefront with our own wisdom and ingenuity. And we try to fix every issue without consulting the God, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That's what we do in practice. And then after we've done what we've done, Lord bless the work of my hands. Instead of going to God's word for help, instead of going to God through believing prayer, we curate our own answers for things, and none of those answers are strong enough to endure a true spiritual assault from the enemy of our soul. The reason why God wants you to seek his strength is because his strength is an unending strength. His strength is an all-powerful strength, and he offers for you to tap into that reality because our strength is not all-powerful, it is not all-ending. In fact, our strength is weaker than we want to give it credit for. We need to learn to serve in the strength that God supplies and to live in the strength that God supplies. To serve in the strength that God supplies means that when the enemy puts 
you at the focus of your mind, which means your shortcomings, your insecurities, your flaws, your failures, you're able to hold those thoughts captive to Christ and remember that God placed you in that particular place for the right purpose, which hopefully is to glorify God through you and that he's going to use you despite those shortcomings. What does it look like? It means if you up here singing, you're singing in the strength that God supplies you. Bump you when you're weak. Sing unto God with all of your soul. He'll do the work. If you're serving in the community, it doesn't matter if you do or don't have the logistical skill. You give all of yourself because God's going to use his strength to empower you to do what his will is for you. When you're raising your kids and you feel like I don't had enough of these kids, you got to you got to parent them not in your strength. Give it up. Do it in his strength. Pursue his word. Lay yourself down. Die to what you want for a change and ask God to do something in your kids and fast and labor and pray and believe and trust in him. It's easier said than done, though. I do a lot of counsel. Every time I've gone into a situation, and let me say this, marriage is under attack, y'all. I don't know, I don't know who y'all do and don't know, but marriage is all over the place, all over, all across the country. I know people out of state. Bro, it's bad right now in marriages. which leads me to many phone calls and many meetings, and I go into every one of those weak. I don't know how to do that. I ain't go to school for that. Every now and again, though, God's strength reigns, not mine. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Because I ain't got no skills, bro. I tell you right now. If you clean for a living, you do it in the strength that God supplies, that God may get the glory. Look in your cross-reference sheet at Isaiah 40, verse 28 and 29. Do you not know? Hmm? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There's no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. This is your God telling telling you what he does for his people. Have you not heard? Yes, you have. Do you not know? Yes, you do know. He gives strength to the faint and the weak. We faint and we weak. Why are we tapping into that? Why are we having asking the question of how? My ingenuity's better. The moment you take your eyes off of Christ in anything that you do, you'll be sleeping and slipping and leaning into your own strength and understanding. What does Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 8 say? Look at your cross-reference sheet. It says, trust in who? The Lord. With how much? All of your heart. Then he gives you a negative. Do not don't, don't let those words disappear in the text. He's telling you not to do something. Don't do it. Don't do what? Do not rely on your own understanding. Verse 6. In all of your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. Here's another negative. Don't 
Be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and key word, strengthening for your bones. God's strength is what we need in the spiritual battle against sin, Satan, and the flesh. I pray for you the same prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians. In Ephesians 3.16, Paul says, I pray, thank you, Lee. Paul says that I pray that he, God, might grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through your ingenuity, through your wisdom, through my thoughts of how it's supposed to go down, through his spirit. First Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. If we approach everything we do in life after seeking God's power, we'll have greater endurance during those hard times. We will. If we approach everything we do after seeking God's power, we'll have greater patience during the frustrating times. If we approach life after seeking God's power, we'll have uh, uh, less fear during the uncontrolled circumstances of life. If we do everything we do after seeking God's power, we'll have less anger when people act like people towards you. Because people are going to act like, like people towards you. We'll have more spiritual victories because we've been operating in the Lord's power and wisdom as opposed to our own. Here's your point of application. Stop coming to a gunfight with your dollar store super soaker ideas. Seek God's word through believing prayer. And ask him. Help. And that strength you told me about, your boy needs it right about now. Beg him, beg him, plead with him. And we'll get into a little bit more of what that might look like in a minute. Verse 10 says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. So where does our strength come from? It comes from God. Second question, who is the enemy? Because the nature of our enemy necessitates the, the source of our strength. Look at verse 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Y'all notice Paul is stretching this? He could have just said against the devil. Done. You understand it. No. He's like, no, you humans, you don't get it. I got to keep saying this. The devil, not flesh and blood. These are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, evil spiritual forces in the heavens. He keeps going because you need to hear that. It's like a little kid sitting at the table. Eat over your plate. Eat over your plate. Eat over your plate. Y'all got kids? Eat over your plate. Eat over your plate. What are they doing? Huh? Huh? No, you need to hear it again. Eat over your plate. Eat over your plate. You need to keep hearing it. Paul's like, bro, understand, not flesh and blood, spiritual forces at work in you. This is the same dude that said that your flesh is jacked up. 
Notice he's not there and not there. In Romans 3, Paul's like, oh, you jacked up. You don't even need the spiritual forces to mess with you. You already messed up. Sin has ravaged you in all kinds of ways. So he's, he's over here with, the, with the, the, the material cast, like, no, no, it's you. But then he's over here like, nah, nah, but them forces are real too. He wants you to understand it's both and. We live on one or the other, it's both and here. And so he labors it, he labors it, he labors it. Because sometimes we feel like our husband is the enemy. And sometimes we feel like our wife is the enemy. And sometimes we feel like our kids are the enemy. And sometimes we feel like our boss is the enemy. And sometimes we feel like the friends influencing our friends are the enemy. And we got all these other enemies and we're neglecting the enemy. Not flesh and blood. Not flesh and blood. Not flesh and blood. Making people into your enemy is a scheme that Satan uses that will almost always result in casualties via friendly fire. It's like an autoimmune disease. He wants you to attack you. He wants you to attack your support system. He wants you to attack the very things that are put in place to build you. Nah, we're going to cause some beef right in that. What did Jesus say in Mark 30, uh, 3, verse 24 and 25? Look at your cross-reference sheet. Jesus told us what's really good here. Look what he says. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And then he brings it all the way home. Literally. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Paul got to point it out for us, very clear, blinking lights. For many of us, our greatest God-given ally is the very person Satan wants us to have beef with. And if you don't apply and, and, let the, and you don't live your life in light of what Jesus has said in Mark 3, 24 and 25, the house shall be divided, the kingdom shall be divided, the church shall be divided, and we will not be able to stand. Instead of pointing the finger at the flesh, we need to get to the root of what makes us feel like the other is the enemy. Who's being unduly influenced? By something negative or, or thinking wrongly, unbiblically about a reality that's causing the person next to you, around you, uh, at home, at work, that's causing them to feel like they're the enemy instead of the true enemy. What's, what's happening behind the scenes? Why is it happening? What, what's there? Guys, I know I said marriages are under attack. They've been under attack since the beginning. This ain't nothing new. It's just a good tactic. All of our relationships are constant. Any, any relationship that is godly in its character and nature is going to be under spiritual attack. So the house can divide. Cracks in the wall, messed up foundation, down comes the house. That's the aim. We all got that going on. I'm in that mix. I got issues. I got problems. I cause problems. I've been unduly influenced. We all have. We're all in the war together, side by side. Ain't nobody way out front and way out back. We phalanx formation here. We completely side by side, taking one step with one another. No man left behind kind of thing. 
That's why when your brother calls you out on sin, listen. When your sister calls you out on sin, listen. When you feel yourself welding up with pride, suppress, humble that mug for two minutes and see if there's validity to what's being told about you. Because all, all he's going to whisper in your ear is, that's not true. That sounds like Genesis 3, don't it? That's, that's not true. That's not true. Yeah, that's not true. Yeah, I'm not like that. You're like that. Yeah, I didn't do it. She did it. Sound like Genesis 3? Sounds like many of our homes, too. Sounds like my home sometimes. But in my home, for me, I don't say it out loud. I say it here. I'll be thinking that mug. It's just as bad. We need to humble ourselves in our prayer, allowing, the God, allowing God to use his word to work in and through us before we come to God, asking him to fix the person we got beef with. I'm going to say that again because I think I need to hear that. We need to humble ourselves before God, allowing his word to work in me before I go to God, asking him to fix that person that I got problems with. The text is clear about who the enemy is. And did you notice the power language used? You notice the power language? What did he say? He didn't say some, some street gang. Hey, rulers, authorities, spiritual forces, things that have the ability to sway and move you. Right? He uses big, lofty language. I looked these up just to get a, a good understanding of what they meant. And they mean what they look like they mean. Ruler, it, it comes from a root of the word arche, which means beginning. It means one from a distant origin uh, that acts in a commanding capacity. It has the, the strength, the, gar- the girth to be able to move something. Authorities, one who exercises administrative control over others. Spiritual forces, one who aims to be a world influencer. That's that's the things that we're up against, things that have the faculties to sway us when we're not in tune with God's word. Our enemy is spiritual. Our enemy has power to influence our minds and emotions and to fight against and cause you to fight against the things that you love and the things that love you. And his aim is to render you immature and ineffective and displaying the glory of God and leading people closer to Christ. That's what he wants to do to you. He wants to render you immature and ineffective at displaying the glory of God. It's hard to display the glory of God when you're all jacked up and you're not repentant. Because repentance is showing the glory of God because it highlights his forgiving grace. But we're taught not to No weakness. I'm good. <laughs> Bro, no, you're not. No, you're not. That's a lie from the enemy. And what does John 8.44 tell us? Look at your cross from sheet. Look what he says. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. This is the enemy Paul's telling us about. What did he say? No truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks of his own nature because he's a liar. And the father, he the grandpappy, he the father of the lies. He's good. He's good. Revelation 12, 9. Listen to how the apostle John speaks of him. He says, so the great dragon was thrown out, and he gives his names, the ancient serpent from Genesis 3. 
the one called the devil and Satan. Then look what it says about him. The one who deceives the whole world. Let me, let me show you there, ready? Satan's aim is to synthesize lies designed specifically for you. His lies are specifically curated Knowing your history, your past, your proclivities, he synthesizes them just right for you, the way you need it. Synthesizing lies designed specifically for you in such a way that you will become disillusioned, overwhelmed, unbelieving, and sleek. This is what he does. He's good. He'll do the one-size-fits-all all the way. He knows this is the category. Here's the thing, but this is her past. This is what he went through when he was six. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. He's good. And our only defense against a good lie is the truth. And where do we find the truth? In the scriptures. That's where we go. We sift everything through the lens of the scriptures. Get acquainted with them. They have truth for us. He already told us where to get the power. And then he said, man, come on, get it. What we doing? I don't know if I can handle it. You can't. Go to strength. Man, I'm just going to fix this. No, pray. Beg God. Search the scriptures. Is there biblical precedent, biblical principle, verse and chapter for you? to aid you, to help you, to strengthen you, to gird you. You're just running this mug thinking you're going to figure it out. No. Get acquainted with the truth of God's word. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to know Greek. You know what God was good at doing? He gave people, people, he gave us people who love languages and translated it for us. We good. We good. You can study it and check the validity all you want. It's been checked, cross-checked, double-checked. You good. You got God's word in your hand. Read it. And let it do something to you before you go to God saying, will you fix this, dude? What does 2 Thessalonians 3.3 say in your cross-reference sheet? Look what it tells us about God. The Lord is faithful. But what's he going to do? He will strengthen you. (laughs) He's telling you what he's going to do. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. What we need to do, again, in response to Satan's lies, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. In your cross-reference sheet, Paul speaking again, and he's telling the Corinthians this. He says, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful. Through whom? Through God. For what? The demolition of strongholds. That thing that happened to you can be used as a stronghold to hold you in a place of untruth. And what does the word do? Sets that mug free. If we would just read it and believe it. Then what does he say? We demolish arguments of every uh, and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. He's the final authority in everything. Go to him, go to him, go to him, go to him, go to him. Keep going. Don't stop. Just go to him. And if you can't ask somebody who loves to pray to pray for you, to get to him, 
Because sometimes I know what it's like, bro. Sometimes you're just there. You got a whole church of brothers and sisters, man, I just need you to put your hand on me and say a word. I'm, I'm believing lies, and I know it, and I don't know what to do about it. Got to put them hands on you. The battle is between choosing to believe the word of God or choosing to believe Satan and his schemes. And our culture is good at accommodating the second. It's all about how you feel. Schemes that sound good at first, but they lack ultimate assurance. There are schemes that are sweet to the taste buds at first, but they're ultimately rot your teeth later. Schemes that promise freedom, but they deliver bondage. That's what he does. All his schemes are aimed at devouring you. All of Satan's schemes end in the, in the end game is to devour you. Look what he says in 1 Peter 5, 8. Y'all getting all the scriptures today. <laughs> Woo, I got like eight in my head. I'm trying to hold them in. I might have to let them out, though. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober minded. Be alert. Why? Why I got to be sober minded? Why I got to be alert? You know what he says? Be alert. What's opposite of alert? Sleep. He told us, bro, he said, just so right there. Your adversary, the enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone or anyone he can devour. You. You. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Look at that. Jesus speaking. Simon, Simon, look out. What's that? Be alert. What's that mean? Don't be asleep. Satan, the real enemy, has asked to sift you like wheat. He wants Peter dead. He wants to hurt Peter. Sifting is the process where you're separating uh, uh, wheat from chaff. And, and a lot of times it's a shaking or a, a jumping process. And when you're doing this, the chaff is getting hit in the air and the wheat's falling down. And it's a sifting process. And it hurts. There's a lot of banging going on. And the idea is when you're getting sifted, you're getting banged around. You're getting hurt. Things are happening in your life. You feel un- out of control. It's hard right now. Things is, it's, it's hard, it's hurting. That's what sifting is. And, and, and Jesus is like Satan, the enemy, want to sift you, boy. He's going to shake you up. And then what does Jesus say? He says, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Remember what happened to Peter? He still got sifted. What happened to his faith? The end of the day, he stood firm. He definitely caved for a minute, though, if y'all read the narrative. Now, if the enemy is not necessarily physical, we can't expect that he'll primarily attack us in the physical. But rather, they desire to influence, in the, influence us in the spiritual, and that's going to manifest itself in the physical. Because spiritual is supernatural in nature, and that supernatural realities impact our mental, our emotional, and our physical. Last one, ready? Where does our strength come from? Comes from God. Who's our enemy? Cosmic powers of darkness. What's my duty in this war? The war's happening, stuff's going down, now what am I supposed to do? He's going to tell us a bit of it. Oh, what do I keep going? Verse 11, and thir- 11 and, uh, 13. Verse 11 says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can do what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist. 
in the evil day. And having prepared everything, take your stand. Stop there. Now, I know that many of you thought that it was your responsibility to win the war, to wage the fight. But wars are won by kings. And it just so happens that we serve the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who's able and has already given us victory. And our duty now has been told to us in the scriptures not to march forth and trying to conquer new land, but to stand firm as God brings people to us, as he brings realities to us. Wars are won by the conquering king. Revelation 19, 3 and 16. Not going to read it. Our duty is to stand firm in Jesus, thereby being a beneficiary of his victory. The text tells us what to do. Put on your armor. Stand firm. That's it. Put on your armor. Stand firm. You know, he's going to bring people your way. And you're going to have the ability to retreat or stand. He's going to bring circumstances towards you and you're going to have the option to retreat or to stand. And if you choose to stand, you're going to have the option to choose to stand in your strength, your wisdom, your understanding or to rely on God, no matter how foolish you think you may sound and let him do work through his word, knowing that Isaiah 55, uh, 10 and 11 said his word never returns void. You can either say and proclaim and believe his word or you can say and proclaim things that are palatable to their ears and tickle them mugs into the faith, which you cannot do. I know I sound crazy talking about spiritual forces up here. I ain't tone deaf. It's true. Choose to believe what's true. Choose to proclaim and stand on what's true. Forget yourself for five minutes and speak truth. The person coming to you with all those problems, they're coming to you for a reason. Broach the idea. You think that this might be spiritual? You think that the enemy is doing something to you or the people around you? I don't, I don't know about all that. I think it might be true. Can I, can I show you in the scriptures? Where, what's wrong with that? Standing firm means not allowing the lies of Satan and the emotions that he has masterfully and specifically synthesized just for us to provoke us to wrath and anger, to provoke us to fear and flight, but rather to turn again to God for strength and lean in on his love for us, lean in on his word that he's given us, that we would submit ourselves and humble ourselves before him. God calls us to finish whatever war comes our way through standing firm and not giving way. God's word tells us not to go to and fro looking for spiritual beef. That's not what the scriptures tell us to do. We're not going to and fro looking for spiritual beef. It means that when the beef shows up at our front door, we ain't going nowhere. That's what it means. It means we stand firm on God's word. Come with the heat. Something going down in my home, come with the heat. I ain't going nowhere. That relationship jacked up, come with the heat. I'm standing firm. Somebody come over and try to influence the church, come on with it. We have to stand firm firm, but we only do it together. Or your house is divided. You can't stand firm on one leg. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.2 to be ready in season and out of season. And being ready consists of standing firm in Jesus and his word. Look at what the truth of God's word told us in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 20 through 22. You got this in your cross-reference sheet. 
I want you to believe the word. Okay? This is all I want you to believe it. He, God, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of, in the heavens, far above every, same words he used just a minute ago, every ruler and every authority, power and dominion and every title given. Where's Jesus? He said, high above every ruler and authority and power and dominion. And where are we? In Jesus and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Verse 22, what did he say? And he, God, subjected everything under Jesus' feet and appointed him head over everything for the church. If you're in Jesus, we good. That's what the text is telling us. Stand in it. Don't run from it. Don't be ashamed of it. You good because he's placed above all these rulers and authorities, which means we can see through the lies if we hold fast to the word. He's given it to us. He's opened our eyes to it. What does it say in Colossians 2.15? Cross-reference sheet. God disarmed the rulers and authorities. He did it. He's doing it. And he disgraced them publicly. And he triumphed over them in Jesus, choose to believe that truth. Not because I said it, but because God's word says it. I didn't make it up, make it sound good. That's what the text is saying. It means that Jesus already won the war. He won the war against sin, Satan, and death. But he did so in such a way that we would never have expected it. Not in the way that we attempt to win the wars every day. See, we try to win wars by taking fewer losses. That's how we try to win wars. We try to win wars with bully tactics. We try to win wars with fear. We try to win wars with petty grudges. We try to win wars by being right. We try to win wars by making the others submit to what we want. That's how we win wars here on earth, right? Don't do those things. In the economy of God and the wisdom of God, Jesus won the war through what the world would call a loss, self-sacrifice. Sober-mindedness, humility, a cross. Jesus had the long game in mind. What might have looked like an L to the disciples and what ultimately looks like an L to us ultimately resulted in the win later. And sometimes if we're going to have a victory in the long game, we need to suffer what the world would call a loss now because it would ultimately cause a win later. When Jesus went to the cross, he had something in mind worth more than his ego. When Jesus went to the cross, he had something in mind that he cared about more than his safety. He had something, when Jesus went to the cross, he had something in mind that was worth more than temporary happiness. Think about this. He doesn't get any of those at the cross. He has something in mind worth fighting for that was worth more than his reputation. You know what he had in mind? You. You. Imperfect, selfish, addicted, angry, you. He forfeited all of that for you. Jesus defeats the powers of this present darkness by the power of the truth of the gospel for you. What sin and Satan wants you to believe is that God doesn't want you. Sin and Satan wants you to believe that you can't come to him in your mess. Sin and Satan wants you to believe that there's little hope for you in your situation. Sin and Satan wants you to believe that there's something inherently wrong with you 
but that you have the wisdom to fix it. Sin and Satan wants you to believe that you need to uh, act and feel defeated. Sin and Satan wants you to believe that your past disqualifies you from God's love and forgiveness. All of those are satanic lies. But we believe in mugs on a daily. Don't believe that trash. Believe the word of God. Sin and Satan wants you to fight a war against the wrong enemy, using the wrong power, believing the wrong gospel. But the truth of the gospel is that you are loved in such a way that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came and showed proof by giving his life for you. He lived perfectly. He died wrongfully, but he raised powerfully. For all of those who repent and believe that for those who turn from their sin, trust in Jesus, we're saved from Satan's schemes. Now we can see through. We're saved from sin and its damning consequences. We're saved from God's wrath. Know what that means? It means we can be honest about our sin and confess our shortcomings now. Because we don't believe the world's concept of what we need to be anymore. I can confess that mug and know I'm forgiven in Christ Jesus. I don't got to hide it because the world thinks it's something bigger than what it is. I know that my power is not from me. I know that my value is not from me. I know that any impact we may have is not from ourselves. And that means now we can, we can be in joy and happiness, not from the relationships that we have, but from the God who provided his love for us. That's going to be the fuel for our joy and our happiness. Several weeks ago, I said this, relief the people in your, release them, the people in your lives, from being the source of your joy. Release them. That's a burden. You know, everybody's going to jack you up. Everybody got it. You're going to have a problem every day with your relationship people, your friends, your families, your cousins, your husbands, your wives, your kids. If they're the source of your joy, you're in trouble, B. Release the burden off their shoulders and go straight to the source of joy himself. He'll sustain it. They can't. I can't. Ask my wife. She can't sustain my joy. We can enjoy each other. We can serve God together. We can do all these things. But at the end of the day, I need the... I need joy to come from the one who is unending, the one who is true, the one who's going to check me with truth every time, not mingled and mixed with anything else. I just need it to hit me. I need it to to saturate, inundate me. Now we can forgive because we've been forgiven so much because we saw Jesus' forgiveness for us. Now we can stand firm against God. We can stand firm against the schemes of the enemy because the word of God has girded our souls to stand. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. If Jesus won the war, then why am I talking about the art of war? Right. He already he won it. So what are we doing here? What's the problem? When I was a kid, I used to play Madden football game. And then I was the best. Period. Y'all want to test it. I'm down. Only for certain years, though, right? I don't do the new matters, the old matters, right? And we used to play, and we had this rule called a 30-piece. Once you got up by 30, game's over, B. Like, if, if you got up by 30, just, just turn the game off. Just, it's a mercy rule. You're up by 30, cut it off right there. Now, in, 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 in real life, there's a similar thing. Like, they, there's no official rule that they call a 30-piece, but in real life, in football in particular, when you have a, a high lead or you're, you're, you're really, you know, pressing the other team, your offense is moving, what, what do the coaches you do? He takes his starters out. Why does he take his starters out? Because he don't want them to get hurt because there's still time on the clock. There's still time on our clock. Casualties will happen 
there's still risk of injury because the enemy plays dirty. If he can hurt you, though he's ultimately already lost the game, he will come for your knees. He can't win 30 piece. He's done, but he can hurt you. He can break you. He can destroy your relationships. He can influence you to do the dumb thing you know you shouldn't do. He can do that. He will do that. 30 piece, though, he lost. Now I can play dirty. I got nothing to lose. I already lost. And because of that, we got to stand firm. We got to be alert, opposite of sleep. Because he's looking to damage you. You, specifically you. I have nobody in mind when I wrote this. But now as I preach it, I have me in mind. So I'm like, he's gunning for my head too. The battle rages, the enemy plays dirty. And so God tells us to be in his strength. Our enemy is cosmic powers of darkness. And our job is to put on the full armor of God, stand firm, and we will do well in the art of war. And so now your job is to go home and read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, which we'll hear later at the end of, the, at the end of the today. And then apply that the best you can. And let God's armor protect your soul as you stand firm in this spiritual battle. Lord, thank you so much for the reality of Ephesians 6. We don't talk about this stuff nearly enough in the church. We talk about everything, Lord, but the reality is there's an enemy who wants us dead. He wants to hurt us. He wants us unable to give you glory. He wants us ineffective, scared, fearful, fighting, biting. He wants sheep biting sheep. He wants the house divided. And I pray that this morning would be a clarion call for unity in the house, unity in the kingdom, unity in the church. Oh, we can bicker. Oh, we can figure out the best methods and strategies. But at the end of the day, if our covenant for one another is strong, he cannot divide us. When I think of covenants, I think of how people here covenanted together as members of the church to fight for one another, to stand for one another. Would they live out those covenant realities? I think about marriage covenants that have made. I pray that we would fight for those covenants and stand with those covenants, knowing that so many people here and out of here, all over the place, there's so much going on, there's beef, there's popping, it's here, it's happening, that we would stand firm in those things, that the house would not be divided, that the enemy would be in, in our crosshairs instead of him and us and his. Lord, I pray that we would stand firm, equipped with the word of God, and that it would do work in us and in everyone we encounter. Lord, we submit unto you. Your, uh, we submit unto you. Would you glorify your son and use him in Jesus' name? Amen.